Hey guys, welcome back to Storytime Podcast. I am your host, Haley Lira, and today we are going to talk about Michael Peterson. Before I ever even knew I was going to have a true crime podcast, I knew damn well I'd be talking about Michael Peterson. For those of you who don't remember, Michael Peterson is the guy who was in the documentary, The Staircase, the man whose wife was found at the bottom of their back stairwell in a pool of blood with no real explanation, just some theories. So I'm really excited to do this one. Let's go ahead and get started. So Michael Peterson was a novelist, an ex-military man, and he was on his second marriage with Kathleen, father of five. Now, technically, he's the father of two. And then prior to his relationship with Kathleen, he adopted his neighbor's two girls when his neighbor passed away. And the fifth child would be Kathleen's daughter, I believe. So he became a big name, though, the night that he called 911 after he found his second wife, Kathleen, bleeding from her head in a pool of blood at the bottom of the back stairwell in their home. Now, this looked like a terrible accident to Michael. Um, he believed that she fell down the stairs, but police found this crime scene not to match with just a fall. I'm going to take you through the story of Michael Peterson. I'm calling this the Michael Peterson case and not the Kathleen case because Kathleen was only one of the complicated deaths surrounding Michael Peterson. Okay, so I first want to say that Michael Peterson does not seem like a killer. Like, he's really smart. He's educated. He almost holds an air of prestige when he talks and walks. He's native to Tennessee. Um, he graduated from Duke, actually, with a bachelor's in political science. There, he was also president of his fraternity and editor of his school newspaper. This was in 1964 and 1965. Um, he took some classes at Chapel Hill in North Carolina as well. It seems like he spent a lot of time in North Carolina. Um, that is eventually where he kind of chooses to settle down So for a while. So Peterson took a job with the Department of Defense in 65. That's when he graduated. So his job was to find arguments that supported the military's involvement in Vietnam. So this is also the same year, 1965, when he married elementary school teacher Patricia Sue. They lived in Germany at the time. She had been teaching for the Department of Defense school in Germany, and she ended up teaching there for 30 years. In their time together, they had two children, Clayton and Todd, both boys. And then in 1968, Michael joined the Marines, where he served in the Vietnam War, actually. He was honorably discharged because while he was working in Japan after the war as a military policeman, he got into a car wreck and some metal went into his leg that rendered him disabled, so he was honorably discharged. Peterson and Patricia stayed in between Germany and North Carolina. They befriended a couple who had two daughters named Martha and Margaret. So long story short is they become really, really good friends with this couple, Liz and George. Um, and George died of, I believe, maybe a stroke or a heart attack. And Liz followed him in 1985. And so what happened was Michael became the legal guardian of Martha and Margaret. And the mother actually ended up leaving him her entire estate as well. Okay, so during this time, Peterson wrote some novels pertaining to his experiences around the Vietnam War. 
Some have contemplated what Michael's truth versus fiction is, what actually took place, and what he just wrote for the story. But he did write some good novels, I guess, nonetheless. In 1987, Patricia and Michael actually got a divorce. Uh, Michael decided to relocate permanently to North Carolina with the two girls, and later his two sons decided to join him. So, reports vary on the date, but sometime between 1989 and 1999, no, 1991, Michael began dating his neighbor Kathleen in North Carolina. So, who's this Kathleen? You know, what's going on? Kathleen was from Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and according to reports, she was super super intelligent, very smart. Um, She'd been taking advanced classes, Latin classes at the local college while she was still in high school. I took one semester of Latin and I can tell you Latin is so hard. Um, And according to the Lancaster paper, she actually graduated first in her class. So she too decided to attend Duke. In fact, according to a forensic file episode, she was the first woman accepted into the Duke School of Engineering. So she did really well for herself. At her time of death, she was rumored to have had like a net worth of $2 million. With Kathleen and Michael being neighbors in North Carolina, their daughters had kind of befriended Kathleen's daughter. And everyone already got along so well. So it was kind of perfect. Plus, everybody really liked Kathleen. And her and Michael were described as like a happy, wonderful couple. At first, I think they sort of cohabited Kathleen's home. But they did marry in 97, and this was around the time that one of Michael's books hit the number one seller New York chart, leaving them with the money to buy a fabulous property. Like, you guys, this was a beautiful colonial-styled home, five-bedroom, five-and-a-half bathroom. That's the first thing I think of when I think of beautiful, sprawling homes is all the storage. Now... This was in Durham, and we're talking landscaping, pool, fountains, lighting, you know, yard work, the works, y'all, beautiful property. Now, on a personal note, everyone had amazing things to say about the couple. Like, they threw fabulous parties. Um, Michael was very entertaining and lively, as was Kathleen. They were described to have had a great relationship, like a true life partner in each other. Michael's reputation did take a bit of a scuffle. When he decided to run for mayor of Durham, it turned out Michael had been telling people that he'd won a silver star, a bronze star with valor, and two purple hearts. Now, although he had all the medals, he did not in fact have the paperwork. And he told this stupid story that one of the purple hearts he received was for shrap metal from a landmine that someone he was with actually stepped on and was killed by and he had been hit by some of the metal into his leg which he later had to admit that it was actually a car wreck he got while he was a policeman in Japan and that's why he was honorably discharged but like how embarrassing is that oh my gosh and why is he telling lies so that was pretty bad and in my opinion since we're here to I'm here to talk about Michael Peterson. I would say that's the first real clue to this like facade. I think Michael Peterson had just created a facade for himself. And that's how he got to be in this like beautiful sprawling home with this successful, beautiful Kathleen. So anyway, let's talk about the night Kathleen died. 
So according to Michael, he and Kathleen were relaxing by the pool. Apparently the couple would often like sit somewhere nice, drink wine together and just like talk. They talked all the time, he said. They were out by the pool that evening drinking wine. He thinks they may have had like two bottles. Like, what? Not Karen, just sipping wine, hanging out. And Kathleen decided to turn in first because she had some kind of conference that she needed to do in the morning. And instead of turning in at the same time as Kathleen, Michael was going to stay out to finish smoking and just relax a bit. And when he finishes up and goes inside, he actually found Kathleen at the bottom of the stairs in a pool of blood, still alive, but like barely hanging on. And this was at 2.40 in the morning. So this is really late to me. Michael tried to rationalize the accident with the fact that Kathleen had consumed alcohol and Valium. Now, the insinuation though was never like she abused the medication or anything like that. It's just that she had taken it and combined it with a lot of wine. And he was thinking, well, maybe that had an effect on her and how she could possibly have fallen down the stairs. I don't know. I'm going to actually play the 911 clip of Michael and you guys can kind of listen in and see what you think. 1520. Now remember that this scene was a bloodbath, not your typical stairfall. Kathleen also had visible lacerations specific to the top of her head and back of her head and neck. Her blood alcohol was 0.07, and I think 0.08 is the legal driving limit in most states. So I'm no expert here, but it clearly wasn't that she was intoxicated, right? Now, she had several injuries over, over her, seven deep lacerations to her head, and those also were on her arms and face, almost as defense wounds. Um, now, aside from her lacerations, many would agree that most of her other injuries were consistent with the fall, but investigators also believe that they looked consistent with a struggle. So the evidence seems very open to interpretations, other than the fact that the lacerations, I mean, those were pretty harrowing. They were intense and there's no real explanation for them. Michael was the only person home. So he was the prime suspect. The medical examiner ruled this a homicide because the lacerations on the scalp were the actual cause of death. And they said that they had to have been present from the homicidal assault. It was after the autopsy report that Kathleen's own sister and daughter withdrew their support for Michael. Something else that was really off to investigators was that Michael only had on a t-shirt and shorts, but the temperature was only between 51 and 55 that night, making them question if he was outside for a long time like he said he'd been. But I also believe that Kathleen had on flip-flops. So I don't know. I mean, I think if they drank enough and there wasn't much wind, 
ear, maybe they even had like a really thin towel jacket, throw blanket or something, they'd be okay in that temperature. I don't know. Another red flag was that Kathleen's blood had already begun to dry up and set, indicating that she potentially could have died hours before the 911 call. Now, remember, this was like a big bloodbath. And Kathleen had essentially died from trauma to her head that she bled out from. So this wasn't just like a little bit of dried up splatter. You know what I mean? We're talking like drying pools of blood. The children said in the Netflix documentary that the whole situation was shocking and that her, their home was immediately taped off as a crime scene and they immediately deemed Michael guilty for the death of Kathleen, making them all like really sad. It was like a double hit to them. You know, they lost their mom and then their dad's being the number one suspect. Now, during a search of Michael's home and belongings, they found something really shocking. And I think for the time frame, it would be pretty shocking. See, Michael was bisexual and they had a bunch of gay male porn and correspondence with men about having gay sex and hooking up. Uh, they found correspondence proving that he would try to meet and hook up with men and this made investigators wonder if maybe Kathleen stumbled upon this the night that she died. Okay, they kind of paint this as a motive for Michael, like to kill Kathleen. But according to Michael, Kathleen knew he was bisexual. And they just didn't talk about it. Although there was the correspondence between Michael and the other gay men, and that there was talk of hooking up, there was actually not a time or correspondence where he actually met up and engaged in sexual acts. So let's remember, if Michael had been a homosexual or a bisexual his whole life, it was not acceptable. It was not accepted by society, especially for servicemen. So it's not like he was keeping something minor under wraps. I'm sure his entire reputation fell on the line if he was open about his sexuality. And I bet he really loved Kathleen and didn't want to like jeopardize a relationship with her or even his friends by coming out as a homosexual or bisexual. Not that I think that it's okay to do this to somebody you love behind their back. Just some food for thought. I don't know what to think about the whole Michael being bisexual, but investigators did stumble upon that and they thought this could be motive. Now, another card against Michael was the fact that, and I think this is a way bigger one than him being bisexual, was that he had not actually generated any income in two years, which is definitely had to been putting a burden on Kathy, right? All three of their girls were in college and hello, Michael and Kathleen both went to Duke. Okay, so I'm sure their kids are in great schools. Supposedly, Mike and Kathleen's credit card debt was like $142,000, which doesn't seem high enough to kill anybody over. Not for the lifestyle that they were living, but police thought so. And when they say Michael was the beneficiary to a good policy for Kathleen, I mean, we're talking like $1.5 to $1.8 million dollars. All that information together is not enough debt to me, but there's a few other things to factor in. Like money was extremely tight because of Michael not having any income and the job that Kathleen had making like $145,000 a year was actually beginning to have layoffs and steadily decreasing in stock values. So her job was basically at risk. Then if you factor in that 
Kathleen's sister said leading up to Kathleen's death, Kathleen was super worried about losing her job and how tight money was. Apparently, it was so tight that Kathleen could not even call a plumber about some things that she needed work done on. In the meantime, Michael had emails displaying the great financial concern that that could have potentially been a motive for him killing Kathleen. See, he had emailed Margaret and Martha's paternal uncle. Martha and Margaret are the girls that he took guardianship over from his neighbor, Liz, who passed away. Okay. So he asked the uncle for like $5,000 a month to put towards their tuition. And I don't think that's too big of a deal. I think Michael needed to get off uh, the computer flirting with men and get his ass a job. But him asking the uncle to contribute five grand to tuition isn't that crazy to me. He also emailed his ex-wife Patricia and practically begged her to take out a $30,000 loan against her home to pay the credit card debt off of their sons, Clayton and Todd. I mean, I don't know the amount that Clayton and Todd were in debt. It must have been close to 30000 right? If that's what he's telling her to get. But supposedly it was so high that the interest alone was like a thousand dollars a month. But the kicker is he told Patricia in his email, it is simply not possible for me to discuss this with Kathleen. (laughs) Well, no shit. Hey, Kathleen, I know I haven't worked in two years and your job is in jeopardy, but please pay my son's credit card debt because they're an irresponsible fuck. I mean, when you take all of this information, you can see where maybe money was a factor. Like if you just step outside of the $142,000 of debt and look into the situation that Michael had boxed himself into, he got caught lying about his military badges, unsuccessful run for mayor, hasn't generate any income or written anything in two years. His sons are fucking up left and right. I'm going to tell you, Michael's sons did not seem like a walk in the park. In 1994, Clayton was 19 and he got into serious trouble while he was in college at Duke. He had to go to federal prison for four years because he actually built and planted a pipe bomb soaked in gasoline and put it in the closet at his university. So he put it in a closet on a floor where all the higher up offices at Duke are, the president and the other administrators. And he said he took the steps to prevent the bomb from actually detonating. And this was just a means of distraction so he could steal some photo identification making equipment from the school. What an idiot. Okay, he actually served four years in a federal prison for that. So that's Mike's kids and his situation for you. Now, the night of Kathleen's death, after police arrived, Todd had come home drunk. That's his other son. And he'd come home with several friends and was like being super disruptive and uncooperative with the investigation. I'm sure he was shocked. I bet he's like young, drunk, dramatic, and like in total shock of what's going on. Okay, so what he was doing was he kept talking even though the detectives told him not to. They probably wanted everyone's story of that night without being potentially tainted by them creating a narrative or even a false narrative together. The reason police separate people to question them, but like... Todd would not stop talking. And so they even had to separate him from his friends. And he was still trying to signal them through the windows. Like I said, his boys were a real handful. After that night, Kathleen was laid to rest December 13th. 
and December 18th, Michael hired a very high-profile criminal defense attorney, which, I mean, I think that's pretty smart of him because he was the only one home. (laughs) And everyone was completely dumbfounded about the lacerations. They had no idea what weapon could have even been used, if a weapon was used, or what the hell happened. Advised by his attorney, Michael ended up surrendering himself to the Durham County Police So they must have known that he was going to be arrested soon. And that is where he was indicted for first degree murder and denied bail. Okay. He has to stay in jail until at least January 27th at this point. But he kind of got a little bit lucky and his lawyer pulled some strings. So he actually did get bond, but it was set at like $850, uh, $850. Oh my God. What did walk in the park? $850,000. And he was released before January 22nd on January 14th. Now, the other great news for him was that the prosecutors agreed they would not seek the death penalty. In February, Kathleen's autopsy report and photos were released to the public. Okay, so apparently under law, it is considered public record, which is so crazy to me during an investigation and trial that it would be public record. But in March, the attorney general refused to seal them, which is so weird to me. So at this point, Michael hasn't been advised to make any statements, but he went ahead and proclaimed his innocence publicly on March 18th. Then in May, the bomb dropped, okay? Now, I personally think this is so crazy, but you remember that woman, Liz Ratliff, the woman in Germany who died in 85, the woman whose children's Michael was guardian to? Well, it turned out that the father did die of a stroke, but the mother was found at the bottom of her stairs with lacerations on her head as well, and Michael was the last person to see her alive in 1985. So according to Michael and reports, the Peterson family, Michael, his wife Patricia, and their two boys came to eat dinner with Liz and her daughters. Now after dinner, Michael stayed to help Liz clean up and put her children to bed, which I thought was really weird that she chose to stay with her, but whatever. I think there must have been something between them, but that's just like an idea. So he says he stayed to help and he did help her and she was fine when he left. But the next morning when the nanny came to the home, she found Liz at the bottom of the stairs dead with lacerations all over her head. Now it was believed that Liz died of cerebral hemorrhages that caused her to fall down the stairs. The lacerations on her head were attributed to the fall. But before Michael's trial in Durham, the court actually ordered Liz's body to be exhumed April of 2003 for another autopsy. That is so crazy to me. So she was buried in Texas. And after some debate about who performs the autopsy, Durham M.E. ultimately ruled her death a homicide. Okay, Durham is the town that Michael's in. So they perform the autopsy on Liz and they decide that it was a homicide. The prosecutor decided not to prosecute him for that crime, but to use it as evidence against him in his trial for the murder of Kathleen. Now, a witness from the scene of Liz said that the blood was everywhere, much like in Kathleen's case, that they said that the blood splatters reached all the way up the staircase and that it actually took weeks for the blood to be completely cleaned up. 
As if things weren't already crazy with this newfound evidence against Michael Peterson, Kathleen's daughter, Caitlin, filed a motion against Michael and she filed her wrongful death claim, which I'm sure that a lot of this has to do with like her mother's money and insurance payouts and stuff like that. But I am sure any liquid assets and money that was in Michael's hands were put towards his legal defense. And that would be really frustrating to be the daughter of a murder victim thinking he's using all your, you know, mother's estate and what's left of her will and everything for his legal defense if she thinks he killed her. That's so sad. So October 10th, 2003, I believe this is one of North Carolina's longest trials ever. Michael was found guilty for the murder of Kathleen, and that is where he was sentenced to a life without the possibility of parole. And they said that the crime must have been premeditated. So he was charged for a premeditated crime. He goes to prison and he exhausts his appeals really quickly, like really quickly. In 2006, he decided to file bankruptcy, but Kathleen's daughter, Caitlin, filed an objection. See, Eventually, in 2007, Michael and Caitlin came to a wrongful death lawsuit agreement for $25 million. In this statement, he does not admit guilt, but at this point, he definitely doesn't have any money. And so it basically is just in place so that if he ever comes in to any money, it's basically going to go to Caitlin because he owes her $25 million in a wrongful death lawsuit. Like I said, it would be extremely painful to see what's left of your mom's fortune and hard work go to the defense of the man who you think killed her. That is hard. Things were possibly taking a turn for change in 2008. See, Michael's new attorney filed a motion for a new trial on several grounds. One juror based his decision against Michael on race. The prosecution had an expert with questionable qualifications And the prosecution withheld exculpatory evidence. These were all the reasons that they were applying for a new trial. But this was actually denied March 2009. And I think that was like their last real chance that they thought they had. Then the owl theory came. Okay. If you've watched the Staircase um, documentary, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So attorney and neighbor of Michael, not Michael's attorney, just an attorney who was a neighbor of Michael's, had been following the story over the years, but he wasn't overly involved. He said after reading the evidence list, he saw a microscopic owl feather and wooden sliver from a tree limb was mixed in with a chunk of Kathleen's hair. This was in a chunk of hair that had been gripped in Kathleen's fist that was extracted from the root. After being presented with this, they did a re-examination, I think just of the evidence, obviously, they didn't like exhume Kathleen or anything, and they found two more microscopic owl feathers, okay? So the owl theory is essentially that an owl flew and attacked Kathleen, okay? And I know that sounds crazy, but apparently... The human scalp can split upon impact, and Kathleen only had three splits they could account to from impact, and the other four were believed to have been from blunt force trauma. Now, prosecutors and police maintain they think it was a fire poker, but this could never be, like, solidified through evidence, and many believe it maybe was a Baird owl. 
So for one, Baird Owls live across from the house in the woods by Michael and Kathleen's home. And apparently they are super aggressive birds and can be very dangerous and have attacked people before. So some of Kathleen's wounds are actually consistent with being attacked by the Baird Owl. The lacerations match the size and shape of the owl's talons. Plus, she had twigs and owl feathers mixed in her hair that she had pulled from the root in her hand of her own hair. All right. There's also a large smear of blood on the doorframe and drops of blood leading from outside in the walkway to the front door. So they filed for a new trial in 2009, hoping to use this theory. But Michael caught like the biggest break ever. Okay, in 2010, analyst Dwayne Deaver, who was a key witness in the prosecution of Michael, was actually investigated and fired for falsely representing evidence in 34 cases. So then, in December of 2011, Michael got out on a $300,000 bail. He was placed under house arrest with an ankle monitor, but he was granted a new trial. Prepping for the new trial, though, took forever. And I'm sure this is because of the big stink that analyst Deaver caused. Um, I believe the issue was that the evidence gathered or examined by him could potentially be inadmissible. And that probably put a big asshole in the prosecutor's case against Michael. So it took so long that in 2014, at this point, Michael had been out three years, his conditions were relaxed a bit, but he also couldn't afford an attorney for the second trial and one was appointed to him, which tells me that the money keg was like totally tapped out. So I'm sure Bond was a lot easier to relax because he was like too broke to go anywhere and everyone knew who he is. So he can't just run, right? Now, November 14th of 2016, Michael actually tried to request that his second trial be dismissed completely, probably for lack of evidence. That was denied, and a new trial was set for May 8th of 2017. But in February of 2017, big news hit. Michael actually reached a negotiation, well, The attorney that was going to quit because he couldn't afford to represent Michael in the second trial, he actually reached this deal. And on February 24th, Michael took an Alfred plea. Okay, so an Alfred plea is basically just like a guilty plea people take when there's evidence to charge them or they've been charged before and they're not going to fight it. So they kind of admit it like, fuck it, fine, okay. I did it. And it's like an admission of guilt without having to admit guilt. Like he doesn't have to stand up and say, yes, I murdered Kathleen. I hit her with the fire poker, blah, blah, blah. It's a loophole. So by doing this Alfred plea, he was charged with a max of 86 months and credit for time served. So that's like a hair over seven years is what he was charged with. But he'd already served 98 and a half months, which is like just a hair over eight years. So he didn't have to do any more prison time. Yeah, he got out. Like what? So now he lives in Durham, the same town he lived in before. He published a book about his marriage and when Kathleen died, the trial, the pressure, his time in prison, blah, 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 blah. All the proceeds go to charity though, because here's the kicker. 
He's been offered lucrative book deals, but he always refuses them because he wouldn't get any of the money. He actually has hardly anything because that lawsuit that Kathleen's daughter filed against him for the $25 million, well, he never had anything to pay it with and he still doesn't and he intends to keep it that way because he says that the settlement insinuates that he's guilty. You guys, this case is so crazy to me. I'm so serious. I would not even question this man was guilty if that owl theory didn't fit so damn well. Go look at pictures. I'm definitely going to post pictures. I mean, there's going to be pictures of this all over my site. So let me know what you think. If you guys think that he did it, I can't help it. But I think that he did it because of that woman Liz dying too in Germany. Michael's wife, Patricia, his first wife, maintained that he's not guilty of either crime and has no involvement in either of the women's deaths. But, I mean, both of them at the bottom of the staircase with lacerations that are inexplainable. And remember, in Liz's second autopsy, it was ruled a homicide. So what are the odds? It's really, really hard because I love to analyze perpetrators and decide like off of my own instinct if I think they did it. And I really think he did it. I mean, he's a bit of an opportunist. The way he lied about the military, hiding his bisexuality. And I think he just used his like one good selling novel to hype himself up, but then drew like nothing after that. I don't know. I hope if he did do it, the fact that he can't make any real income because Kathleen's daughter basically has the right to it. I would say that's justice well served in an odd way. But Kathleen will never get that time back and we'll never know. So anyway, guys, let me know what you guys think of the Michael Peterson story and his family. And if you think that he did it, go to Storytime Slayer on Facebook and Instagram. On Instagram, that's story underscore time underscore slayer. And you can always email me at storytimepods at gmail.com. I really want to know what you guys think about the Michael Peterson story and I found, I watched The Hidden Staircase on Netflix when it came out years ago. And I remember watching it and being like, oh my God, he didn't do it. This is an innocent man in prison. Um, I hope he gets out. And of course, at the end of it, he does. But when I researched the story, I chose not to research it the second time using anything from The Hidden Staircase. And I found that the evidence is so biased in that documentary that when I looked at it outside of the documentary, I was like, Oh my God, this guy, I think he did it. So anyway, you guys, I will see y'all next week. Bye.